You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. It's that time. It's digital noise time. Waka waka. Waka waka waka. Really? I don't know. Fozzie Bear was my idol when I was a kid, and you see how that turned out. Walla walla bing bang. <laughs> but, but was it ding dang walla walla bing bang? Ooh ee ooh ah ah. Ding dang walla walla bang bang. Ee ooh ah ding ding. Yeah, yeah, it is. What is that again? I don't know. It's a novelty song. No, no. It's. <laughs> I can hear it in my head. God damn it. Anyway, it will come to me later. It's not important, and you guys don't want to hear me try to remember stuff. Um, I don't know. Maybe they did it, but I remember hearing it from a novelty record when I was like six. So well, Yeah, it predates me by about ten years then. <laughs> yes, that's Minimal. true. We'll, we'll call it ten years. Let's, let's just remind me of that to start <laughs> off with. Thank you. That's Aaron over there uh, playing the whole what's up, old man card. Uh, I'm Chris, and we're here to talk about Blu-rays and DVDs, so let's get right into it. With the first title, which is the latest in the DC animated uh, superhero universe, which basically means the ones that come out direct to DVD that are not a running television series, even though this new one, Justice League and the Fatal Five, brings back Bruce Tim and is the first film in quite some time that is decidedly adopting the fa- the classic Bruce Tim look yeah. of animation, which is which, to say that the old Justice League Unlimited cartoon and Batman the Animated Series, it looks like that. I, I actually have a lot of mixed feelings about that, too, because... Uh, I enjoy that a lot. I mean, make no bones about it. I cut my teeth on the Superman animated adventures, sure. the Batman animated adventures. That was, I was the they target were age. But that was a long time ago. We have progressed. I feel like by aping that style, they're in effect kind of taking a step back. And it kind of killed it for me a little bit. I, I actually am glad you said that because I agree with you. Um, uh, obviously, there are people who are immediately going to be the nostalgia is going to overwhelm them and they will feel that it's the only thing that's, impo- that's important and that's what they're going for. But the truth is, this is one of the cheapest looking of one of the uh, of the recent uh, films in the series, and that's because it's a te- it was a television style, and they spent less money on it. This is normally these things have a little bit more like finesse to them than this does. I mean, it's fine; it doesn't look horrible. No, no, but I'm kind of like it's not this, bad. It's just that, it makes it feel like a television show. Yeah, like it's not. I'm not even going to say that the new animation style is necessarily better. It's not. It's just it's different. And this is a very specific style with a very specific character design. And watching that, it frames it in that older world, and so. There's a weird disconnect, both in the content being a little bit more mature, because this is still that PG-13 that the DC animated universe does, but also in that there are new characters swapped in now. And yeah. And it's weird. And, and it's weird that it's called Justice League versus the Final Five, because, yeah, Fatal Five, because, yeah, they're in it. But it's not really about the Justice League as you think of the Justice League. I mean, ultimately, it's about Starboy, who is one of the Legion of Superheroes from the, what, 31st century, I guess, uh, who comes to our time 
basically tracking down uh, these guys um, in our time. And when he gets there, it turns out we've discovered, and this is, he's not, I guess he's not the only version of Starboy there's been, but uh, he has some sort of future schizophrenia. That requires metal to be put into it. It requires some sort of very specific medicine uh, that there just doesn't exist here. So he's like, I will literally start forgetting where I'm from and who I am in a matter of, like, hours if I don't find a way out of the situation. Um, And... uh, of and course, that does because that's in the first like ten minutes. Yes, <laughs> and then they introduce you to Jessica Cruz. Now, if you don't know who that was, that means you haven't read comics in the past or Green Lantern in the past three years or so. She's kind of one of the more recent additions to the Green Lantern crew. So, uh, Latina, uh, what is it? Latin X is the term I believe we use now. I, I thought it was person. I think it's I, Latinx. Okay, cool. Although I, I was know. telling Courtney, I was like, look, I think it's great that there is a completely like gender neutral word there, but this, it sounds like when dudes are allowed to pick their own nickname. (laughs) It's like, no, you do not get to be like Thor's hammer 21. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Anyway. So yeah, she's one and she has a very severe, God, was it manic depression? I guess. Is it gore? But she's like bipolar. Is she? Yeah. Yeah. She's got serious psychological. So it's interesting. I, her, she actually ended up being the big draw for this movie for me because literally the day you handed me the stack, uh, the night before I ponied up and got the DC Universe subscription and started reading Green Lantern Rebirth, okay, which is her as the main character with one other character. Is there a new Rebirth then, I guess? Because uh, I thought when Jeff Johns first started, didn't they call it Rebirth? I... It was the big rebirth relaunch that happened after the New Fifty Two. Oh, okay, and it's her as one of the main. Yeah, characters. and there's another. And then, then there's another one. Yeah, who wears a mask, and like the the two of them are, are rookie lanterns. But then, so it was nice to transition right into this animated series. For but that. I've been trying to read her books. I read the first year and a half of her book, and I just finally gave up. I was like, I just this is not connecting with me. Now I think it's great. They have a character where they're they're having an opportunity to explore. Uh, I don't even know what the appropriate term is anymore, but I'll just say, for lack of a better one, mental illness. Because she is mentally ill. So. Like, right? I mean, that's... I, I don't know. So, I, I'm in the comics, I'm literally two issues in. Okay. <laughs> and, and then... Well, I mean, she's and, not, and like... Watching like, this movie, like... She's not going to have multiple personalities and start trying to kill someone. So, exactly. I'm not spoiling anything. Well, I mean, literally, she's agoraphobic. She's manic-depressive or bipolar or something like that. So, she's, like, really self... Has no sense of self-worth at all. Like, and is constantly fighting, like, those feelings of, like, worth which is weird for someone for the a Green Lantern ring to be attracted to, since their whole deal is like people with the greatest will is well, who it goes to. And you're like, so now the Green Lantern ring is going to be all like Mr. Miyagi and try and find someone. You've got the worst will, but you know what? I see a glimmer of hope. See, like, I actually ended up liking that a lot about her character because, uh, and granted, I've always liked the Green Lantern as a character, but I've never really read a lot of their stuff. I just like the concept. Mm-hmm. But I've always kind of internalized it as not necessarily the greatest will, but that ability to overcome fear. And right. with her background of being someone who went through this insanely traumatic event that fucked her up royally for her whole life and having to overcome that fear every time she just walks out the door, 
that is a central part of her character. I got that as a Green Lantern. Like, yeah, she literally has to be a badass just to go to the store down the street and get some milk. Right. Like, I, I dug that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but you see where we're going with this here, people. There's the, the center's on two heroes, both of which have more or less real-world mental illnesses yeah. and overcome them which, uh, in, in various certain ways to become heroes, to be to, heroes. To your point, which kind of started us down this path, this is not a Justice League movie. No. This is a Green Lantern versus the Fatal Five. Yeah. and uh, With it, a little bit of Mr. Terrific. I was going to say, <laughs> it, it guest stars the Justice League. I don't yeah. think... Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman, who who are all in this, actually do anything necessary for the plot. I, I, yeah. I realize at the end of it that I think you could have cut them out of this entirely, and, and it would have been the same movie. The, the only real flaw I have with the Green Lantern side of things, just forgoing the fact that you can cut a third of this movie out, is partway through they do that scene that happens in almost every superhero movie where the villain finds out who the good guys are and they put them in a tough choice. And she does exactly what has happened in every single movie that's ever been made prior. And it killed the beginning of the third act for me. Okay. Like I I really wanted in this case, just like, Good God, just tell somebody. Just, 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 just talk about it so that, you know, this isn't a huge setup for the entire terrible events that are going to happen. I mean, a part of it with me is this is where we start getting into the part of DC where they're characters I'm barely, if not at all, familiar with. You know, I mean, I know, I remember Starboy, although I don't think he was schizophrenic when I was reading the comics back when. Um, and... You know, obviously, I, I know, although relatively recently, who Miss Martian is, who's another a tertiary character here who has more to do than the rest of the Justice League, other than maybe Mr. Terrific, who I only know because of his, his iteration on Arrow. That's okay. I know Miss Martian because of um, Young Justice, where she is phenomenal. But the final, fight, Fatal Five, the bad guys, I'm completely unfamiliar with. And there's a certain amount of, like, where this really is, doesn't, I didn't feel like they ever completely explained what was going on with their powers. I was always like, wait, what can they do now? I I was right there with you. They're they're supposed to be like the most dangerous threats that exist in the future. And you're like, not seeing it, guys. Not seeing it. But uh, anyway, so yeah, there's a. I I guess the best part about this, I think, is when you get to see more of the actual future with the. Because there's a part where they go inside Starboy's head and they're like, oh, let's see what happened in the future with the Legion of Fused Superheroes and what that world is like. I was like, okay, that's cool. I kind of wish y'all had just made a Legion of Superheroes movie instead of feeling like you had to make bring them back. But that's the thing with these; they always feel like, well, if we don't put either Batman or Superman in it, no one's going to buy it. So it's got to star one of them. And there you go. That's it. I, I would kill if they would learn the lesson that the filmic DC universe seems to be learning which is yeah it's okay to put Superman and Batman in there occasionally and Wonder Woman she's great but we need to start seeing those B-list characters who we don't get as much screen time. Let them They're handle the it on their own. Interesting characters. Yeah, let them handle the, the problems on their own. Don't bring in the other guys as, as, as yeah. the hand of God to save the day. And like ultimately for all that I did enjoy myself in this movie, it felt like a season finale of Justice League Unlimited yeah. where they were introducing a new set of characters. Yeah. It didn't feel like a movie. It felt very rushed for a movie, too. Yeah. Um, 
I, you know, I didn't hate this or anything. I just thought it was just okay. It's okay. No, I do say, I mean, that's, that's great for people who actually do suffer from mental illness to see them start and explore this sort of stuff. That's terrific that they're, yeah. they're going very positive with that. But I, does it, it doesn't really do anything yeah. for me personally as a watcher. And I'm not going to give something points based on that alone. The fact they did that. And I thought overall the story was kind of silly and all over the place. I, I want to call it with, with the mental illness. The one thing they did that I really like is, there's no solve. Um, she's still an agoraphobic who is potentially bipolar. Uh, he still has his space schizophrenia. You know, they don't fix themselves. They learn how to work and be successful with their attributes. Right. Which, that was nice. Yeah, that's the, the one thing I will definitely give this points for. Yeah. Uh, there's an audio commentary with Bruce Tim, the director Sam Liu, has been directing a lot of these, and the screenwriters. Uh, there's a sneak peek at the next one, which is, God fuck me, Batman Hush. God. I fucking hate Hush, man. I'm sorry. I, Jeff, everything Jeff Loeb, um, almost everything he did, I dislike, and I really dislike Hush. I have to admit, I, I enjoyed Hush when I read it, like, mm-hmm. eight years ago, I think, but... It's another Batman movie. There have literally been, I think, six of these. Maybe, no, five. More, more than that. Five, that are specifically Batman. More than that. Like, I'm tired There's been like of 11 of them. <laughs> like they, even, they even made that joke in the Lego movie, too, when someone made a comment on Batman. He's like, what? I'm in like nine movies. That's what this is now. I'm tired of Batman. Give us something new. Agreed. Please. Uh, then there's Battling the Invisible Menace, which is actually specifically talking about the, the characters with mental illnesses in here. Uh, Justice League versus Fatal Five, Unity of Hero, which talks about all the diversity. Um, uh, there's sneak peek, uh, and then there's sneak peeks of previous ones that have already come out. I, I don't know why they always call them sneak peeks when they came out like two years ago. <laughs> it's fucking weird. And then two episodes from previous television shows, episode from Legion of Superheroes, Man of Tomorrow, and episode from Justice League Unlimited, Far From Home. You know, if they were really smart, they would call them previously on. Exactly. Thank you. All right. Well, let's move on from one silly superhero thing to one really fucking silly sci-fi thing, and that is the movie Replicas. Man, now you have to go see John Wick 3 just to get the bad taste of Keanu Reeves and Replicas out of your mouth. Yeah, like, I I, I actually like Keanu Reeves as an actor. I've really seen him in some stuff I thoroughly enjoyed. But this made me wish he only made action movies. Yeah, this is... um, Bad on the level of someone was standing holding guns on everyone involved the whole time like, and just saying, no, do it. My boss said, do it. So, <laughs> I, so yeah, ultimately, which you have to talk about what the movie's about to talk about, why this actually could have been a good and important film. So Keanu Reeves is, I guess I'm going to say, uh, an AI specialist. Well, he's a, but he's, he's working he's on a the biomedical idea research scientist. There you go. Yeah. He, he's working on the, uh, what's it called when we're able to digitize our personalities? I have no idea, but he's basically it's, trying to take dead soldiers and put a fucking spike in their head and then take all their memories out and then put it into a robot brain. Well, that's the practicality. He's trying to achieve immortality by digitizing us. Right. And there's a term Which sounds good. When I'm, that all, I'm all for that. So it's not working. You're talking about the, the whole... Uh, you, you know, it, it's a thing. But yeah, I don't think it necessarily specifically no. means that, but people... I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The guy's yeah. like that futurist scientist who wrote the whole book about that there stuff. There you go. Yeah. So I'm blanking. He's doing God it. it. It's not working. And he takes his family on a vacation, and I promise I'm not spoiling anything, this is in the first ten minutes of the movie, and gets in a comedically bad car wreck where 
everyone in his family dies. Yeah, by the way, out of fucking nowhere. It's his, like one of those, like, what? why was yeah. that such a bad car accident? Yeah. His wife and all three kids, yeah. dead. dead. Insta-dead. He's not dead. Um, and so, so, at this point, we're going to pause and say... This is an interesting setup for a movie. You could have legitimately made a really good sci-fi cerebral piece about a man working against his morals to try and bring his family back. And he, he's, he keeps doing things that he previously would have hated. And it would have been a small, quiet think piece that could have been powerful. Mm-hmm. Instead, we get we really get, silly. We get this techno thriller garbage where he doesn't call the cops. He calls his buddy. He and played he by Thomas Middleditch, bring his family back to life. Yes. Oh, because they just mention out of nowhere, despite the fact that it has not come up at any point before this. Well, you know, the the end plan is to do cloning and clones yeah. of people and put their the memories into clones. To be now that I think about it, it'll probably work a lot better than with the robots. And <laughs> and proceeds to make. Probably there are like two or three bad decisions he makes right off the bat. Oh yeah, and ridiculously everything bad. spirals off of those. And the problem with that is those bad decisions are so arguably stupid and forced and not what would really happen. That every single time they return back to it, it it just pissed me off because yeah. I was like, "Fucker, this shouldn't be the problem you're running into." <laughs> and and th- they have this last minute plot ho- plot shift where. And this is in the trailers where there are only three pods and not four. Yeah. So he has to choose which of the family members he doesn't bring back, which, again, cool idea. And, like, really dramatic. Also, horribly done. There's just all these points you're like, how could you possibly? Like, okay, so they've developed three cloning pods that are each about the size of, like, a really big washing machine. Um don't they work in one of the highest tech military run facilities in the world? I don't care if you are a manager there. I'm not seeing how you got those things out of there. Or how about, <laughs> I'm sorry, you digitize somebody. It's a digital signal. Digital signals do not degrade. They exist. They yeah. live. Well, they do actually degrade over a long period of yeah, time, but, but not after like a, a, a couple of years. Yeah. You, like there should not be a, what do I do? It's you bring the three members back and then you spend another couple of weeks bringing the last one back. But, what follows is a series of terrible decisions followed by terrible decisions, which ultimately turn this movie into uh, that Harrison Ford techno thriller that we've all forgotten, and every other techno thriller that's come out yeah. since the '90s, like Antitrust. It's, yeah, I remember the title. But this feels like one of those, like the Lawnmower Man level of like bad '80s ones, where you were like, where they didn't know anything about like actual technology that was going to come yeah. in the future. Like the screenwriters didn't even bother to look into it. Except the <laughs> shit going on now. It's not yeah. even like future tech that they're getting wrong. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, it feels like someone is like, yeah, we didn't bother to do any research at all on, on the, what scientists say the future is, except this isn't even the future of stuff. Like you said, this is stuff and that should be accurate for now. And there's just no sense of nobody went through the script and checked anything. Have, have a, none of the family members or characters, except for the wife who literally exists only to go, I don't know if I agree with the point of your research. And that's her only character trait before she dies. Right. The only part of this movie that actually got me involved was watching it from her point of view once they inevitably start figuring out what's going on and the movie ramps up into full thriller territory. Right. Like, it was fun watching it 
at, from with her as the main character, going like, okay, your husband has gone off the reservation, and you're trying to stick with him and deal with this See, impossible to deal with stuff. Somebody should like, have grabbed the script at some point and go, no, dude, we're throwing out the fir- entire first half of this. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, we're rewriting it where the whole movie starts from the perspective of Alice Eve, who has already died and been cloned and is starting to realize something is wrong. Yeah. And we don't know that. (laughs) That would have been a more interesting It it would have been interesting then to watch her husband deal with breaking his moral rules to get this to be done while at the same time, like, that would have been a good story. Yeah. It would have been fun. It just, there's so many gaping plot holes in this thing. There's just laugh out loud ridiculousness to it. Um, yes, this is a movie I feel like you can watch and laugh at, but only at parts. A lot of it's just boring. Ugh. And it's just, it's got, I will admit, I laughed really hard at the end because it's yes. so stupid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it, 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 it turned into a comic book movie kind yes. of at the end. Yeah, they wanted to like set it up for like a badass and, sequel. And it's, like, so, uh, it, it's so faux dread, like, oh no, this is the way it is. It's like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I mean, I know people are, a lot of people are going to watch this regardless of like what anybody, what everyone has said about it. And honestly, there are worse bad movies to watch than replicas if you're looking for a bad movie night. But no, th- this is... This movie falls squarely in line with Antitrust and those other movies whose titles I can't remember. <laughs> it's going to be forgotten in three years. Yeah. It's not bad enough to be fun, and it's not good enough to be worthwhile. This is just... It's boring. Well, there's an audio commentary with the director and executive <laughs> producer. There's a 30-minute a, a making of, which is just total EPK, and there's about eight minutes of deleted scenes in case you disagree with Aaron and are like, no, I'm buying this bad boy. <laughs> Fuck you, Aaron. I'm getting me some replicas. Uh, so, much better. We go to Arrow's re- recent release of some spaghetti westerns they put out. Uh, the first of which is called The Grand Duel. Now, the uh, the second one of which is called uh, Kioma. And I only mentioned that right off the bat because these came out a few years back in a dual pack where you could get them, like, like I think Mill Creek or somebody put them out, where okay. both of them on one disc. But they're really shoddy transfers. But these are, like... Two of the towards the end of Spaghetti Western's popularity that are often referred to as two of the last really watch really good ones. And they don't hold up next to the master the all time classics, but they're both pretty good. I was about to say, like, I I I had fun with both. Or are we talking about just well, let's Grand just talk Duel about Grand Duel to, to start. I have specific thoughts about Kyo. Oh yeah. <laughs> Soundtrack alone. So. Um, yeah, look, all right, so The Grand Duel, 1972, by Giancarlo Santi, who had worked as the assistant director on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West. This takes Lee Van Cleef, who is a badass, but, but, but sort of like not being uh, up front with what he's actually up to Sheriff, who is, when we first meet him, is riding on a stagecoach with some other regular folks, and they come into this town like, oh, watch out, there's a fugitive in here, and for some reason he gets himself involved in it, and then basically we realize he's telling everyone, like, no, you are not allowed to kill or arrest this young man, He will. I'm taking him into my charge, because he did not do the crime he was uh, accused of doing, which apparently in this town that's run by a rich family of weirdo pricks <laughs> really yes. weirdo like like really, really they look like if andy warhol's the the factory had existed in well, the wild west so they would have come from that it's they went the james bond route and 
the villains all have odd character traits. One guy is just a rageaholic yeah. who literally yells every single line. Then you have the prim and proper uh, overlord villain who doesn't get his hands dirty. And then you have the villain who has a physical defect is clearly coded gay. Yeah. Like, oh my God. It's just screaming at you. And it's like, it's James Bond villains. Yeah. It kind of, you're absolutely and, and actually, right. The, the grand duel ended up being kind of like the, the, the over the top James Bond or the fast and the furious of the spaghetti Western world. Cause in the first action scene, you have a guy jumping over a wall using a pole vault, uh, Three separate times, no, two separate times, someone gets someone's attention. Yeah, that's weird. By shooting the hat off their head, which both times I was like, you know, you are being awfully lackadaisical about the fact that someone sent a bullet about an inch above your forehead. Yeah, it's it's very like the the secondary character who is the the, the younger guy who has been accused by all these people of committing this murder and who nonetheless is murdering lots of people on his yes. way away from them <laughs> is totally Jackie Chan in this shit up for yeah. in a weird way I've never seen in another western where he's yeah. just like doing yeah crazy pole vaulting and doing jumps and flips and shit and you're like what is happening in this but, movie? But it, it kind of works. It kind of works. Like I, I had a lot of fun with it, but and, it ends up being a weird sort of murder mystery where you're like, because this doesn't feel these type of things when they set up aren't usually a sort of like. Agatha Christie, well, who actually did it? But this movie actually goes there after a while where you're like, you start like suspecting different people and then different people find out you couldn't have done it and it breaks all down. And in the end, it was exactly who I thought it was. It was exactly what I thought it was, but it's fun as hell getting it. It's a murder mystery, but the mystery really doesn't matter terribly. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that's fun to call out, and this is the best part to me about going back and watching old spaghetti westerns, is finding Quentin Tarantino soundtrack pulls. Uh, yeah, yeah, because the central theme, which plays like every five minutes in this movie, is from Kill Bill Volume Volume One. Two, volume One. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is a lot of fun, and it's Levon Cleef, uh, Lee Van Cleef, who normally didn't play a hero. He played a villain much more, or an anti-hero at least, and here he actually is kind of playing the, the like, I mean, he's on the verge of anti-hero, but he's, I wouldn't go so far as to call him that. He, he is, a, he's the character who, at no point in this movie, does not know more than everybody else around him, and is a total smartass about it. Right. Yeah, and, and, and it's playing up a thing that's very f- familiar in a lot of uh, Spaghetti Western films, the older gunfighter, younger gunfighter yeah. relationship type thing that's almost kind of like father and bad son type relationship between the two of them. I'll be honest, this ended up being one of the movies that I most enjoyed out of this stuff. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah I thought this was a lot, lot of fun. fun with this. Uh, and there is the English and Italian versions on this Arrow release of this. Uh, there's an audio commentary uh, with Stephen Prince uh, talking about a lot of the production and biographical data here. There's a 30-minute, an unconventional Western new director interview with the director. There's a 25-minute The Last of the Great Westerns, which is a new interview with the screenwriter. Uh, there's Cowboy by Chance, which is an interview with uh, actor Alberto Dentis, a.k.a. Peter O'Brien, who I believe played the younger gunfighter. Uh, Out of the Box is a new interview with the preview. Day of the Big Showdown, a new interview with the assistant director. Saxon City Showdown is a uh, new appreciation of the film by critic Austin Fisher. Two Different Duels is a side-by-side comparison of this version and, a uh, weirdly, another version that exists of this that's longer, that's German. What? That has, like, extra scenes in it and 
stuff. Um, there's Game Over, uh, which is a obscure science fiction film short starring Mark Maza from this film. Uh, Mark, there's a feature, Mark Maza, who was the writer on the rain, who's a, a video essay by this guy, Mike Malloy, devoted to this weirdo actor that's in this movie. Uh, there's the original trailers, image galleries, and an insert booklet. And that's a shit ton of stuff for a <coughs> moderately obscure spaghetti western film. Which, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say it. If you like spaghetti westerns, you should check out. Yeah, and you should also check out the other one we're talking about, also from Arrow, which is Kiyomo. And uh, Kiyomo, which, of course, in a lot of places where this when this came out was marketed as a Django film. And that's largely just because any movie starring Franco Nero that's a yeah. Western after Django was marketed somewhere as which, a Django film. I, I, you know, the, the best thing I can say about Kiyomo is they make some choices. Right? Like, like, like they, and I don't mean that as an insult. Like, yeah. they, this movie is surprisingly surreal. It's bizarre, and they make a lot of choices in the soundtrack and in the plot that, even if you don't like the movie, it's like fuck, man, good for you. You so, tried something. Franco Nero, who is the Indita film legend, uh plays uh, Kiyoma, the titular Kiyoma. is an ex-Union soldier. He's part Native American, part white. He's returned to his hometown to find his half-brothers who just absolutely despise him because, like, they are all the full-blooded kids of their dad and he was a a the half, their half-brother, you yeah. know? So, so it was a decent But they didn't even know existed until he was, like, a, a couple years old and he brought him in, you know? Dad was having an affair with a Native American. Didn't sit well with the other kids. Um, so they never, none of them ever liked each other, but, uh, he's found out that, that the, the kids are bad. The, like the other kids, they rule the town. They're a bunch of dicks. And basically he comes to the conclusion eventually that he is going to have to deal with the situation with the help of his father and an old, uh, African-American friend, George played by the legendary Woody Strode, uh, who at, at this point in his life has kind of just given up. He's become ineffectual, but he finds new energy to fight back with, the uh, with his white native American savior. friend. <laughs> uh, um, but there's this weird thing where like right off the bat, his whole deal is like, everyone is like, Oh, this pregnant woman, she has the plague. We have to take her out to this place. And he's like, I'm going to get involved randomly in this situation. Yeah. I know absolutely nothing like, about. He, he, he passionately decides to back her no matter yeah, what. Yeah, he has no clue what's going on, quite frankly. He's like, what if she does have the plague, you know? But he's like, okay, well, she's hot, so she's coming with me. Uh, and she is, to be fair. And you find that's all part of this plot that I didn't completely Thank you. remember or I, understand. I'll be honest, yeah. I didn't pick up on the fact that the dad was having an affair. I thought he stumbled upon an Indian village, right. and Kiyoma was the only kid left alive, no, so no. he just took him. Like... No, this movie is... He's half white, so... Th- this movie is kind of surreal, but, but it... Well, it's it, most surreal because there's that witch character who keeps randomly appearing it, it that doesn't, has, has nothing to do... Is never explained in any way, this mysterious old woman that whenever she appears, it's because a, a door suddenly blows open and there's crazy wind behind her and she says something ominous. And you're I, like, I gotta who say, the fuck is that? I was kind of surprised by how much I liked the way they shot the uh, surre- surreality mm-hmm. they always cut to it without actually cutting like they'll be on a close up of some character and they'll pan over and wow we're now in the middle of the indian village cuz that's where they were shooting it like it was visually a very interesting movie and and it took me about 2 thirds of the movie to before i realized that the soundtrack is entirely composed of ballads sung 
by the female character and Franca Nero. It's the most fucked up soundtrack I have ever seen, and maybe like, ever. I'm like, just gonna say it. When it first began and it was her singing it, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of weird, but I'm into it. No, but- and, and then, then Franco Nero's first song came on, and I was like, is that Frank Nero? And when Wait, you what? realize that there, the, the whole soundtrack, which is uh, in a lot of this, is a Greek chorus, and the songs are just going like, whoa, here's what just happened yeah. in the movie that you just saw. What's going to happen next? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Fucking Kiyomo, he's fucked. And not, in, not in those words exactly, oh. obviously, but it's just like, it's so bizarre. It, it's, it's What happened is it feels... It felt like this movie, when it came out in America, had some artsy Hollywood exec go, this movie makes no sense, so let's have the chorus explain the subtext. And so, like, literally the first time his dad shows up, the movie pauses, and Franco Nero comes on going... Oh no, it is my father. He is standing in front of me now. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, like, I we don't see shit. his character do that. We just hear it no, in no, the soundtrack. But, but yeah. I, I'm not joking. That is the actual song lyric. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, he has strong feelings about this situation. What will he do? And also, those guys are still looking for him. And you're like, what the fuck? Not going to lie, my enjoyment of this movie, once that started happening, increased by threefold. It's just, because every time he started singing, I was like, ooh, what's he going to sing about? And the, but for the record, the songs, they're Bad. Yeah, they're like, horrible. They're so bad. Like, Frank you're like, Nero what the hell? Should never have sung on oh, the record. Uh, he is not a good singer, at least not here. I was like, which, what? Uh, sure, he's an Italian guy. It's an English. He's has a gruff voice. I get it. No, but he he's but, next to tone deaf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? Uh, I don't even know what to say about this, except it is really fun, but in a totally different way and, than the and Grand the Duel. ending makes... No fucking sense. Like, it, it ends, and I don't want to go into details because I have to talk about it, but there's a line that the witch character says to him, and then Hebrus retorts and has this uh, quippy little blah, 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 blah. And it's total bullshit. It's all bullshit. Yeah, they're all going to die. It's just like, oh my god, what the hell? <laughs> it. It's one of those you almost just kind of have to see for yourself. I've never seen a Spaghetti Western I would compare with this no, one. I, it's just, it's so totally its own weird mash of stuff that's not even from other things. It's just, it's from an insane person. Yeah. <laughs> like, get some beers. It's like they were trying to be Shakespearean about it, himself. but they didn't have any clue how to do that. Like I said, <laughs> like, I... I can't sit here and really defend this movie because I I feel like it's not quote unquote a good movie, but they make some choices. They do, and make those some choices are very interesting to watch play out. Uh, there's English and Italian versions on this. There's audio commentary uh, by C. Uh, Courtney Joyner and Henry C. Clark, who've done a couple commentaries uh, for Arrow on different films. There's the Ballad of Kioma, uh, which is a new interview with Franco Nero. Ashes to Ashes, Dust to Dust, a new interview with Enzo G. Castellari. I believe that's the director, right? Am I wrong? Is that the director? I don't know. Yes, that is the director. Sorry, I knew it a second ago, and then I forgot. There's Writing Kioma, which is an interview with uh, Luigi Montefiore, a.k.a. George Eastman, uh, 
um, who's better known from his, for his acting work, but he wrote here saying that he was deeply influenced. Apparently, he originally wrote this as a sequel to Django, and they t- said, nope, to go back to the writing board, the drawing board, and rewrite it. Um, there's parallel actions, a new interview with the editor. There's The Flying Thing, a new interview with actor Massimo, uh, Massimo Vanni. A play as an actor, a new interview with actor Wolfgango Soldat. Man, I wish my name was Wolfgango. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, uh, Soldati. Uh, Kioma in the Twilight of the Spaghetti Western uh, is critic Austin Fisher assessing the film uh, within its uh, production period. There's an inter- inter- introduction to Kioma by director Alex Cox, which is an older piece, but it's the director talking about the film. And there's trailers, galleries, and an insert booklet. Yeah, this would be a great like sort of double buy if you're just in the mood for like two fun but in very different ways yeah. spaghetti westerns. They're both worth checking out. Less so is Arrow's re-release of a honestly pretty obscure 1987 horror film called Scared Stiff. It's so obscure that on the uh, Wikipedia page for the main actress in this, it show you know has a link to the film and it links to a completely wrong film. It links to some <laughs> other Chinese movie. They don't have a page for this movie, even though original screenplay. By Mark Frost from Twin Peaks. You're kidding. Not kidding. Scared stiff. Now you can totally see when they started when they started out writing this thing, they were like, We're genuinely trying to make a gothic, maybe even slightly romantic ghost story that's very serious. In the special features, they actually talk about that. Like there's this interview with a bunch of the cast, some of the cast and the producer and director. And they're sitting there like, yeah, we got this script and it was for this really serious romantic ghost story. And we're like, no man, let's make it a horror movie. It's, a uncomfortable and total failure of a mashup. And there's lots of like, was there even an editor on this fucking thing moments? Like there's a moment where there's a corpse and you literally see his eyes dart to the side and you're like, that wasn't well, supposed to be scary. See, that was me, a fuck up that you kept in the movie. The, the, the fun weirdness for me is that I swear to God, the race of the main actress kept changing. When the movie began, I thought she was African-American dating a white guy. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, me too. That is surprisingly progressive. And then when it cuts to her music video, I legit thought that was a different character. <laughs> it took me half the movie to realize they were the same person. Uh, Mary Page Keller, who ended up being a relatively well-known television actress, yeah. uh, she plays that lead role, which was originally... Supposed to be Sheena Easton, the huh. musician, for the record, and who smartly got out. Um, she plays Kate, where uh, she is a pop star that is trying to get back on top, but she's had some emotional <laughs> problems. She's trying to, re- to start her singing career back up. Um, she's trying to take care of her little boy, uh, Jason, played by Josh Segal. And uh, she's fallen in love with her therapist, which is really, I'm just- pretty sure, like something that that guy could never work as a therapist again ever. What I love is they have like three different scenes where he defends himself to his coworker by going, no, no, it's been over a year. It's okay now. Yeah. I'm (laughs) like, how does this fucking work? So much like some guy in his thirties going, no, no, she's 18. It's legal now. She's beautiful. (laughs) And she's mine. Um, so they, for some reason, they've moved in together into a very southern gothic gigantic mansion. In the middle of a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and that used to be owned by a, a famous slave trader, a trader named, and you can't even make this up, George Masterson. Yeah. Masters son. 
Get it? Master? Yeah. It was just a little on the nose. It was like the names that Ted Danson chooses for himself when he's pretending to be something in the good place, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stephen Brain Man, the scientist. <laughs> um, and of course, they're like, oh, okay, so there's a, this place is haunted by the events that happened here, horrible shit that uh, involves slaves being abused and raped and what have you by this horrible master. And that should be enough, right? That yeah. should be enough. But no, they've got to bring in this weird thing with a voodoo amulet that Thank is you. like um, that comes. What, what's happening now? So, but, You're like, do they keep the good guys having hallucinations of these people who are, I guess, supposed to be like slaves who know voodoo, but for some reason it looks like they're supposed to be right out of the Congo, you know, with the way they're dressed and the, well, everything around it, them. It was weird too because even when they flash back to Masterson. He transforms into this. Yeah, he's turning beast, into like some sort of Doctor or Mister Hyde. I didn't thing. get why that happened. And then yeah. there is a character who goes through the. We've all seen this before. A good person starting to shift into a bad person. Yeah, it's like going the but Shining. Like, type I, I made thing. it like halfway through the movie before I went. Is this person just an abusive jerk, or or are they being manipulated? And then even. Was, I think they were ripping off The Shining. It's it, as simple as that. They were like, yeah, a guy who's a good dad, but he had problems, and he has problems with his relationship, and this evil spirits in their house are taking advantage of that and turning him into a monster, only in this case, not just psychologically, but physically but like, as well. What? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I was offended for the treatment of that character, <laughs> because at the end of the movie... Like, when everything that was causing that character to kind of go bad was resolved, that character was still bad. Yeah. And I was like, but... Like, he was are, a therapist just, who slept with his patient. Well, like, <laughs> are we just looking over the fact that nobody really gave a shit that this person just kind of went psychotic and is now... I don't want to spoil it, but... Yeah. But yeah, it... it I thought they mistreated that character. <laughs> and it has weird, like, out of nowhere that has nothing to do with anything CG screen on screen, like, computer graphics oh. moments well, that are like, where you're 80s. like, yeah, but it's like, oh, okay, so suddenly the computer is projecting imagery in the air of stuff to go like, ooh, aren't computers cool? Wait, what? This is a Southern Gothic ghost story yeah. slash possession voodoo mystery, and, and now you want to bring computer graphics shit into and it? And the makeup sucks. And makeup the makeup is so bad. The, the avatar of the ghost, demon, voodoo, monster statue whatever are pigeons which is kind of delightfully hilarious it's it's weird so whatever shit going yeah, down another thing, there's pigeons everywhere it's another thing they just slammed in from another movie you know what's scary that Hitchcock movie birds we should bring that <laughs> in too this is just a huge mass of a movie I mean it's a ridiculous it's a mess, mess. It's a mess. and it's not really a fun mess it has its moments but overall I was like it's just too much shit that's taken so utterly and completely from other better movies for you to enjoy it. Yeah. And um, there, there isn't even any really good gore in it. Like, no. It's, uh, Nothing to recommend. Th- this, this is one of those titles that Arrow puts out where you go, okay, I don't really feel like this deserves this, but good on you, I guess. Yeah, somebody out there remembers this yeah. fondly and wanted to see a version of it there. Still no closet land, though. God damn it, Arrow, what are you doing? Um, there <laughs> extra features. There's Mansion of the Doomed, the making of Scared Stiff, which is over 30 minutes long, which I, I didn't watch, but I hear it's actually pretty funny and a lot of people being funny about the film. That was where I got that part with the producer and the director, who could not give a sh- get l- give less of a shit about this movie when they're talking about it. 
Fair enough. I'm not surprised. I wouldn't either. It, uh, it was kind of delightful. There's an interview with a composer, and then there's audio commentary uh, uh, with two guys who I don't know who they are talking about. I think they're just critics. Um, and an insert booklet and original trailer and what have you. There's not a huge amount here, but I doubt there is very much around for them to work with, quite frankly. And I doubt most people even wanted to discuss this film, quite like, frankly. Uh, honestly, if you like this movie, yeah, go see it. If you don't, you probably should not watch it. Okay, so for the horror movies we do have, we're moving slowly uphill in quality. And I say slowly Are we? only because the movie Hagazusa, A Ugh. Heathen's Curse, is really slow. Like, if you guys who watched The Witch, The Witch, and went, I can't keep up, everything's moving too fast, this is the movie for you. <laughs> because it's basically, like, a different take on The on the Witch. Like, I mean, very different in some ways, but atmospherically, tonally, very similar. So, but it moves at half the speed. Yeah, this movie very slowly pissed me off. <laughs> it did everything very slow. Oh my god! Which, which I mean, you hit the nail on the head. This feels like if George P. Cosmatos made The Witch. This is the guy who made Mandy and The Void. If he made The Witch, not The Void, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, but if, if he no, made this that, isn't by him. No, I know. This oh, feels okay. like if he made that, but didn't light it with his awesome badass lighting and his really techno-European soundtrack. And he was trying to do the movie version of that, I don't know what you call that style of rap music, where they everything's really slowed down, you know what I'm talking about? Where they, they do... Oh God! Where the voices roar, you can tell they like like had him yeah. sing really fast yeah, so they can slow it down. It's like screwed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm but, like it's like that. Um, all right, so remote mountain village, 15th century Alps. You're already like yawn. Um, <laughs> there's a and that would be the appropriate uh, reaction. Oh, we see initially a young woman uh, named Albrun. Uh, her mom basically is and her are shunned by the townspeople. They think they're witches or something. Uh, it doesn't appear that they actually are, but who knows? And the mom dies of something. Yeah, that's uh, the first thirty fucking minutes of this movie. Yeah. Uh, so then it's like, oh, now Albrun is all grown up, and everyone still thinks she's bad. But somehow she has a kid that's unclear where that came from uh, because no one will talk to her. Is You know, you're like, wait, how did you get a baby if no one will even, like, anyway, doesn't matter. Film doesn't care. Why should we care? And she, one of the local townspeople, another lady, is like, you know what? I don't like the way they treat you. We should be friends. Only to find out later that she has weird, I'd say nefarious, but... I think, like, no, nefarious no. in the sense that Harvey Weinstein is nefarious. Like, she wants some hot, kinky sex. I mean, <laughs> I, I would say Harvey Weinstein is a nefarious rapist. Yes. Yeah, it was nefarious. It was nefarious, yeah. yeah. But it just feels, because nefarious, you assume Bond yeah, villain. She's not, like, but, mustache trailing. Yeah, yeah. She's just a bitch. She's just weird, like, yeah, I just want to do some crazy fucking sex shit. Anyway, uh, and then it goes really insane. And there's something about eating mushrooms... And I'm not clear if the whole rest of the movie she's supposed to be tripping or not, but even for someone tripping, it's moving extremely right. slowly with what's happening. And by the end, honestly, I'll be goddamned if I can tell you what happened. Uh, so, so I'm going to go on a mini rant. Okay. I'm um, ready. <laughs> so first and foremost, disregard the back of the movie. Uh, that's total bullshit. Chris explained the entire plot. Second, disregard the fact that this is in German. There is... Maybe eight lines of dialogue in the Almost entire none. movie, yeah. and none of them are essential to the plot. You could turn off subtitles. It changes nothing, which is not a bad thing. 
Um, the movie is insanely slow. It doesn't have the style to pull off that slowness. And the director is clearly trying to say something. Like, I actually went back and I watched a couple of the select scenes mm-hmm. uh, with commentary, and he is clearly up his own ass about the importance of this movie and its artistic interpretation. Um, however, he doesn't... I always hate kind of talking about a filmmaker in a poor way, but I feel like he doesn't have the grasp of narrative flow that he needs to have to make this kind of movie. When you have like a George P. Cosmatos, I mean, it is it is a like a a debut of this guy as a filmmaker. George P. Cosmatos, he makes incredibly slow, painful movies sometimes, but he has an enthrilling narrative which pulls you along. Are you you talking about the Mandy guy? Yeah. Okay. See, I, I don't even agree with that. I, See, like, I, I, I like Mandy. I, I like I Mandy. I don't like his first movie. I did not like Beyond the Bar. Um, Be- pretty looking movie. The, and if you can watch it at double speed, it's yeah. not bad. What, it, it has Mandy, not Mandy, but the first one has the same problems this one does. Yeah. So, so, so he's just, there's no narrative at all. The movie wants you to believe there is, and, and I don't want to get into the third and fourth arcs because it, this movie has people that will like it. I'm it does. Have, spoil it. it has a lot of defenders out there. People but, really enjoyed it. It played Fantastic Fest, and it was one of the most split movies so of the year. It goes into territory which should be interesting and should be enthralling and should pull you in. But because they don't set anything up, it's just a scene of bad. Uh, <laughs> we spend two hours with this girl, woman... I cannot tell you a single thing about her that Chris has not already told you. She has a baby inexplicably, and her mom died when she was young. Add to that, there's a lot of sexual imagery, which it it doesn't really tie into anything. If this movie was about a woman who was sexually frustrated or was going towards a sexual release or it was a sexual demon, okay, it makes sense. As it is, it just feels like the director writer's kind of pervy and wanted her to masturbate on camera. Like yeah. it, it just it, it nothing ties into anything else, and so you end up getting some. You end up with a movie that you should either watch when you're fucked up on mushrooms and want to just see some weird shit, or you should not watch at all because right. I. Hated this. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I thought there was some imagery here. I thought was quite pr- provocative. I thought the soundtrack by MMMD was really good. I will uh, give you that. Um, that was good. Uh, I thought the performances were not bad at all. I just think this thing could have lost forty five minutes of its running time, and it would have been deeply improved. You know what would be good? I want this guy to find somebody who gets his weird, nasty style but is a better writer. Yeah. And so that way he can tell his weird, dark, violent, surreal is all hell, which I like surreal cinema. Yeah. Um, he could tell this story, but actually have there be a story. So instead of just me putting it, I, I did what you talk about. I, I had to put this on like, yeah, one and a half speed. One and a half speed. Cause like, I, I held out as long as I Jesus. could, man. I held out to the last 20 minutes, and finally I was like, okay, I'm going to fall. Oh. I cannot stay awake. It, it, it was the last two segments. Up. I just I, I got bored. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, Were you like... You, you can still hear it and everything, and like, and you have subtitles for yeah. when there is dialogue, which there's barely any. And in you know here, what? But like, 
who knows? Maybe this guy will, will pull a Mandy. Or his <laughs> second film will be like, yeah, you yeah. got it. You got a plot. But it wasn't this you one. You got a narrative. And so this is now good. But I right love the now, fact that, like, ugh. I, I don't know what the deal is because I, I knew so many critics who came out of this at Fantastic Fest who fucking hated it. And Rotten Tomatoes is is listing it as like ninety six percent. I was like, "Who did you get your reviews from?" Because, because everybody, almost <laughs> everyone I talked to were critics, and they did not care for it. Anyway, uh, there's deleted. Uh, there's one deleted scene. There's that selected scene director commentary. Uh, there's the music video by MMMD, and there's and this makes me laugh. There is a film listed as a short film by this director called Interference. It's 48 minutes and 33 seconds. Jesus because Christ. of course it is. It's, it's like, that's not a short film, I'm dude. I didn't even look at that. I assumed it was. I was like, no fucking this way. And was like, I'm not going to watch it. No, I think it's, it's different, but still, there's no way I was going to sit through 48 minutes more of something by this guy at this point. I was like, not unless everyone had told me it was wonderful. And you know what? Son of a bitch. The plot looked interesting. I love the idea of those kind of, um, like Slavic or Icelandic, any of those Eastern European gods and finding them yeah. in the world, those are badass stories. I will devour any I can get my hands on. Well, I'm our, betrayed by this movie. Our next one of the three horror movies we have, I think, is decidedly the best of the three. I don't think it's an all-time classic, but it's definitely pretty watchable and creepy, and that is uh, The Hole in the Ground, that mysteriously, A24, who has been pretty good about distribution all but dropped this movie in a hole in the ground after picking it up for a decent amount of money. You're like, what are you guys fucking doing? It's not even out on Blu-ray. It's out on just DVD. I'm like, guys, this is better than a lot of the garbage A24 put out in the last year. And I'm kind of baffled why they decided just to all but bury it. Um, A24 is weird. Like, I feel like if it's not a horror movie, their stuff is reliably phenomenal. But I don't agree with that either. I've seen some really bad drama stuff from they? them too. Yeah, I, I, I've like maybe they were they so put good some stuff out lately that I haven't. It was their yet. first two years were so solid that okay. everyone hasn't has, has just gotten to this point where they're coasting on that. And the fact is, I still watched almost everything they put out, and I've seen a lot of it. Was like, oh my god, I need Clockwork Orange things to keep my eyes uh, open. Okay, see, well, there you go. <laughs> I've only really seen stuff from their their two year heyday. Fair enough. Uh, but this film stars. Uh, I guess it's Shauna Kerslaki, uh, Irish actress, um, who uh, has, I, I guess she's better known on, on television stuff. But she plays Sarah, who has uh, fleed what is assumed to be an abusive husband with whom she has a son uh, to the Irish countryside. She's rented this big house next to a big forest, which, as they discover shortly in, there's a ridiculously huge sinkhole not that it, far it from is the house. Always slowly kind of pulling more in, exactly, which is phenomenal imagery. Um, and there's this creepy old lady that's wandering around, uh, and uh, everything about the scenario is kind of creepy. And one day, uh, her son is is missing, and she can't find him, and she's freaking out. She's like, oh my god, what if he went, went outside went to the sinkhole? And she goes out, and she finds him just standing next to the sinkhole. And she's like, oh, what are you doing? Come home with me. But he seems a little off, and uh, the old lady, like at one point, the weird old lady comes up, and she's like, that's not your son! And it finds out she was... You had a kid who she murdered because she claimed that that wasn't her kid at all, that the fairies had replaced him with a changeling. Did she murder him or did the dad accidentally run him over? No, I think she murdered him. Okay. Yeah. Um, But she's gone. She's cuckoo. Yeah. Um, Anyway, 
uh, I can't remember. Maybe the dad did accidentally murder. I can't remember. But it's okay. It really doesn't but, matter. But she dies in a really weird way very shortly on. And th- this is actually, it's weird. There's been a little a bit of a, I wouldn't say glut, but at least one a year for the past couple of years of a sort of fairies and changeling movies that have been coming out, but a very underneath the radar. Yeah, and which, a lot of them from Ireland. Which... I enjoy. Yeah. I, I like those non-traditional horror films because they always tend to be a little bit nastier than what we tor- normally get. But one thing I did like about this is that it's not very long at all in the movie before it's not a sort of, is he a changeling or isn't he? Before the movie says, yeah, see, he's a fucking changeling and, yeah. and that's and he does some fucked up shit. I got to admit, I didn't get that. What, one of my issues with this movie was, so they do the thing that they did with Babadook where... For a large portion of the running time, you're not quite sure, is she crazy and kind of going insane, or is this real? And once they admittedly came out and were like, no, shit's real... I got a lot more interested in the movie, but I wanted that to happen 20 minutes sooner. Than but it was still by about the halfway point. Was it? Yeah, it was pretty early in the film. Remember that scene where I think the 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 one scene very decisively where basically she's kind of lecturing about something at the breakfast table and he shoves the table yes. so hard like a huge wooden table. And this is like a 10-year-old kid. Shoves it so hard, it sends the table and her flying it's across like, the room. Fly. And you're like, uh, yeah, guys. I, I guess the one <laughs> I wish is that they had, once that started happening... I wish that they had cut, they had stopped focusing on her thinking she was going crazy. Because the more they focus on that, the more that I kept going, well, did those things really happen? Or is she imagining that? Well, it's kind of like if you were going to get to this as early as you did anyway, it felt like the stuff with her wondering if she's crazy or not, that's the cliched stuff we've seen before. And it it wasn't that interesting. You're like... You're already going, I hope this whole movie isn't going to be just about this. uh, Because it's not. It's good, but it's not good enough to pull yeah. that off. And the mo- you're right. The moment they, they, they say, okay, this is how it is, you're, it's much better. And I would have liked the whole movie to be felt like more of a monster movie. Thank you. But it's like, still pretty they, good. They, they, go, they start going eldritch with it in the final bit of the movie. And I really wanted them to hit that and the entire third act to be that stuff because that was really cool and like there's a sequence since you've already kind of given it away that he is a changeling where he throws her around the room yeah that was the scene where I was like, okay, I'm in the movie now. This is yeah. officially not in her head, and I'm totally psyched. And, and some wacky shit happens and, in this third act, man. And, and I wanted—I <laughs> just wanted more of that. Yeah. Like, uh, as it was, this felt like an A24 horror movie where I was like, okay, yes, it's A24, so you got to be cerebral, but let's go. Let's move it. Well, only because, like you said, it's just so familiar yeah. already, the, the ground that's being but, tread. But I will say... The stuff that is not her going crazy is really good. I'm blanking on the name of it, and it's on like Shudder and maybe even Netflix, but there's another one with a very similar sort of fairies are are coming for you in their pissed movie that was really good. And it was one of those 20 minutes in, it was like full-on assault on Precinct 13 at humans in a house versus fairies trying to get to the, get with them. Like, dark fairies, and I'm blanking on the title. I thought it was awesome. Uh, and it's all really fucking... Grody Cronenbergy, yeah, like, you know. I, I don't know if this is because I've seen this before, or if it's this movie, which I feel like that's that's wrong to fault this movie because I've seen it elsewhere. But I'm at a point in my life where a movie where the main character is crazy and it all might not be real 
being the kicker, the twist, just doesn't entertain me anymore. Yeah, we've seen that many times. You better do it really well. So as I'm watching these movies, when they are hinting at that, I'm so bored with it. I'm always more interested when they go, no, fuck it, shit's cray, and it's cray (laughs) starting now. Fair enough. Uh, But our last film, I think we both agree, is the pick of the week. Yes! Which is the Criterion set. Of Police Story and Police Story 2, two of the, the early and still considered by many to be two of the best of the Jackie Chan films. I'll give you that for sure with Police Story 1. Still one of the best. Two of some of the best fight scenes, but man, it's fucking long. It's oh, over so, two hours. I, and I, I like two more. I really? So I have to ask. Oh my so God. Did I get these because I asked you? Because I, I literally... I don't remember you, you asking don't? me now. Oh, I reached out to you like three months ago because I oh, randomly I was surfing Amazon.com and I discovered this was coming out and I reached to Chris... I, I know that you can't necessarily do this, but if there's any way you can make sure I'm the one doing police story when it comes out for criteria, <laughs> I didn't remember. Please, um, but I did remember that you tend to like the martial arts stuff, so it's, I was like, okay. Um, and police story came out in 1985 with Jackie Chan um, uh, uh, playing Chan Kai Kui or Kevin Chan, generally I speaking. It was, it was like um, Chan. In fact, Kui. when I first watched this movie, it was, of course, the only version you could get was dubbed, and they called him Jackie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In fact, the first two two or three of these, that was the way it was. But um, he's like a cop who's not like top of the line or anything like that. I mean, he's like a regular cop. You know, he's not a super cop till the third one, <laughs> which is called Damn super it. cop. <laughs> you were like, I, was, I wanted to do that joke. <laughs> I did. And it's he has to protect the secretary, played by the, the incredible Bridget Lynn, who went on to do much better roles than her role here. Because later on, she's like, I'm a fucking megastar. Here, she's a pretty good supporting actress. Yeah. Where he has to protect her, and she's the secretary of this crime lord who they really want to get. And she's going to give evidence. And a very funny sequence where Chan is like, oh, we have to convince her that this guy's going to try and kill her. Uh, just at the thought she might give evidence at all. So they, he and his buddy set up like a fake assassin coming in the house scenario that's pretty goddamn funny. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and then the guy's on is like, okay, well, we are actually going to try and kill her. And this leads to lots of hijinks and lots of really badass stunts and really impressive stuff. And, and as you see in the credit sequence, lots of people actually getting seriously injured during the length of these so things happening. Pol- police story is weird. Actually, both these movies. Uh, while sitting down and actually thinking about them to talk about, I realized that Jackie Chan movies are kind of their own genre. Like, this is not a typical action movie, because the big, huge, oh-my-God set piece is the first five minutes of Police Story 1. Right. They never top that for size. Well, yeah, there's a sequence. And if you've ever seen any Jackie Chan documentary, you've seen the scene of them where they drive through an entire shanty yeah. town on the side of a mountain. And even by today's standards, it's like, well, that's it, fucking crazy. It was the climax of Bad Boys 2, the biggest dick action movie that it ever made. But, like... So that's the first 10 minutes, and it never achieves that again. But that's okay, because it's not that kind of movie. It's also not really just a comedy, because there's lots of action, and the action is enthralling. So it's this weird kind of half-action, half-comedy that is unique to Jackie Chan. And 
all of his uh, Hong Kong movies are this genre, yeah. or at least that the bulk. He was ninety percent of them a, a quote unquote Jackie Chan movie. There, there are a few that he did try a few serious drama yeah. action, so like Miracles, I think is the name of the one that what, what that wasn't. I, I, I know but, the, the newest new pol- the new police story was a more dramatic, more right. traditional cop thriller. He definitely experimented, but, but he always found that when he went back to comedy action, which is how he became a superstar, that's what people wanted to see him do. Yeah. And so this was kind of, for a lot of people, that the first Jackie Chan movie they saw, where it was like, holy shit, this is a, such a great mix of like well, and these what's things. What's cool about that is, well, it's hard for me to go, if you love action movies, you're going to love this. It means that if you like Jackie Chan movies, like, man, this is the holy grail. Because this was the first time that Jackie Chan really, he, he wrote, he directed, he acted in these. Which brings me to my biggest criticism of Police Story 1, in that clearly Jackie Chan in 1985 had some issues with women. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, you know, it is China. It, it is. I mean, it was a different time. But, Even in America, it was pretty misogynist. Like, China was still very misogynist. He's kind of a terrible human being in the first movie, but it's okay because it's he's a goofball and the action is good and you have to take it characters in the, are being You have to take silly. it in the context of the time yeah. and place when it's made. Which, yeah. it, it's never so offensive that it really bogs the movie down. It's just like, when you see that he did all three, it's like, oh, okay. But, so, when you get onto Police Story 2, though, he has clearly learned quite a few things in the intervening three years. And I think the writing is far better. Uh, see, that's where I disagree with you. Uh, I, 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 I found Police Story 2 very draggy. And I, really? like, I hate the fact that it starts off as a direct right after sequel where it's like, Ooh, and the villain from the first one, he's, he got out because of legal shit. He's like, Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> and so they have to let me go compassionate release. And they're like, Oh, you're faking, you're faking. And then that has ultimately almost nothing to do with no, who yeah. the actual villains are, who have nothing to do with him either, which are a bunch of people that are, Terror corp, business terrorists that are blowing shit up for no reason that was ever made clear to me. They, they, they uh, want money. Yeah, but th- th- that's truly all. But it it's is, a terrible plan. It, it's it's uh, Die Hard three basically. And then it's like it's not as funny as the first one, and when it is, it doesn't work as well. <gasps> now some of the action set pieces, like for straight up fighting action, because uh, there's much there's much more fighting in this movie than there is in the the, the first one. The first one is a lot more stunt oriented. This one is more like cool set pieces where he's using everything around him to fight people. See, it, and and those scenes are great, but at two over two hours, that's like maybe eight minutes of the running time of this movie. I'll admit, I I think I like part two more because it's more fighting. Because uh, I kind of enjoyed the fake out with the first villain. And I thought all the characters were more relatable. And actually, I didn't realize this movie was over two hours. It flew by for me. Where the first one always kind of drags a bit uh, whenever it drifts away from the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I far prefer part two to part one. It's There's so much weird shit that happens in this movie that you're like, wait, what? Like, There's a scene where like, he goes from like, oh, what are you guys saying? You saying you think I did something wrong? And he's like, fine, I'll just take this gun and take the commander and take him hostage. Well, and you're like, wait, what? He does that in both movies? Yeah. It's, nobody. And they're they're all like, behaves. oh, Jackie. Like, nobody behaves like they do in the real world in yeah. either movie. Uh, it's this weird pseudo parody satire world where it's it's just like, okay, sure, we'll go with that. 
And they both have like spectacular kick-ass stuff going on and really well-planned stunts and great post-credit uh, or credits uh, like here's where we fucked up, like what, blooper was scenes. Was this where they started which, that? No. You know where he got it from? Where? Cannibal Run. <laughs> okay. He went to America before these movies because he had already made Snake in the Eagle Shadow yeah. and uh, Drunken Master 1. And everybody was like, ooh, this guy's a badass. We should get him over here. And he did, what, three films here, I believe? Or uh, four, if you count Cannibal Run 2, I guess. So he did, well, He did. Uh, uh, I forget what the first one was, but then there's Cannibal Run, Cannibal Run 2, and then The Protector, which he had such a terrible experience on. Was he in Death Race? Uh, no. Um, but, but, uh, he, so he had such a terrible experience. He's like, fuck Hollywood. Came back, made police story. Everything changed, right? Um, but, uh, yes, he stole that totally from Hal Needham. Totally. It, it uh, works. It, it's uh, um, one of the best parts about the Jack. He actually King said, to be fair, I did enjoy being in the Cannibal Run movies, but they weren't exactly great show, show yeah. pieces for making Jackie Chan into a huge star because they're giant ensemble films. Uh, Maggie Chung is in both of these and she's also in the third one, which I kind of wish they had just put out all three Thank in you, one set. Because the third one's a really good movie. I too. think it's the best of the three. It, it's after three that you kind of. Yeah, they start to fall off after three. I mean, there's still like plenty of good stuff in the later ones, but they they go. Each one is trying something really wildly different than the previous one, but none of it quite works. I'll admit, I really enjoy a new police story. Yeah, and I realized while watching these that technically. I think the Rush Hour movies could be the same character. Yeah. Like, when I was watching, I was like, oh. Don't admit that out loud. Good thing thing we're not recording. I I, I have to say, like, (laughs) I was the perfect age for Jackie Chan's American push in the 90s. Because I was four when Jackie, when the sequel, Police Story 2, came out. Uh, I remember Rumble in the Bronx coming out in theaters. Oh, yeah. Like, I saw how it in big the a theater. deal that was. I, I was like 10 to 12 when all of these movies were coming out. Fuck, man. Jackie Chan is like my... He's that actor who I followed as a kid. Yeah. No, I was super into Jackie Chan as... Not a kid, because when I was a little kid, we didn't even know who Jackie Chan sure. was. Uh, but, like, in fact, I don't think he was the star on any level when I was a little kid. <laughs> but uh, when was I was, like, like, in my... <laughs> Very late teens, early twenties. I first started to realize who he okay. was, and moved to Austin. Found High Heart Video, which had a pretty decent collection of Hong Kong movies, and I was just like, "Give me all of them. Just take them all and put them in in my in my VH, VCR right now." One of the things I'm grateful for with this is after watching these two police stories, I'm starting to go back and attempt to find all the good Jackie Chan movies I haven't seen. Like for instance, I've never seen Drunken Master. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, have you I, seen Drunken Master too? No, I have seen neither of them. Oh my god, uh, there dude. are some relatively major holes. All right, so I'm going to obviously send you out of here with some movies tonight. I'm when cool you with leave. that. Uh, cool I with have that. a couple different chans that are like, "Oh, this is a must see." Thank you, because yeah. it is surprisingly difficult to find a decent list of these are the good Jackie Chan movies that you should watch. I'm blanking on the name of it, but I have it. I think it's Dragons Forever, but it's the best one that features. All three of the whole holy trio, which is Yuen Biao, uh, 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 Jackie Chan, and uh, Sammo Hung together, okay. where it's like straight up a nobody's a supporting character. It's all three of them, and they're all three amazing and amazing at that comedy action stuff. Give me all you got. I'll take uh, them all. Anyway, 
This is Criterion, this Police Story 1 and 2, which means, A, it's got a gorgeous package. It's really nice. It comes with an insert sort of poster uh, booklet with a, with a cool essay that I actually read. I did, too. <laughs> it was informative. Uh, and tons of bonus features, including some stuff that's been on my, God damn it, where can I find a copy of this list for a very long time? Hey, the, the one that I like to call out on Disc 2 for Police Story 2, there is a 20 to 30 minute bit where one of the Criterion's film historians sits down and takes you through Jackie's career and the context of Police Story and why it was a major deal, why Golden Harvest's production company was a big deal, and actually talked quite a bit about the rhythm of how Jackie Chan movies shift, which is kind of when I sat back and went, oh, shit, these are a different genre. And it re- it recontextualized Police Story 2 for me when I was watching it. And that is reinventing action on yeah, Police Story 2 disc. One. Uh, on one, you've got the the original trailers. You've got a great piece called Jackie Chan, My Stunts, which is uh, it's an archival documentary, but it's not that old. It's like maybe 10 years old. And it's Chan, who actually I've never seen anywhere before, takes you inside the stunt factory where they actually build the stunts and try them out first. Which just this huge warehouse that's just outfitted with crazy shit. And it's him teaching you step by step. For the type of stuff you see him do, how they do it, and like how you plan doing these kind of crazy stunts and crazy action without people getting really hurt, and it's super cool. And there's a scene where like <laughs> they're like, like so yeah, we do actually hit each other. Like there's no, we are actually hitting each other. You just get so good at doing it, you know how to do it without seriously hurting them. And yeah. it's like like this, and he does it to the guy, but never even looks at him. Basically, he's looking at the camera the whole time. Talking because Chan is hosting his own documentary here, and the guy's like, you could tell he's like, doesn't hurt my ass. <laughs> Ow! Um, but they're doing shit like like things where they're falling off like a four story thing and hitting a bunch of shit on the way down. And they're like, here's how they do those scenes in the movie. Well, yeah, here's how that works. Those are not cables. No, no. They, they talk <laughs> about that that he never wanted to use wires for that. Yeah. They use them for like in, adding impact to a hit. And they have them hit all that shit on the way down because that's how they don't kill themselves when yeah. they hit the ground. Yeah, it's a matter of knowing exactly how to hit each yeah. of those things and where to hit them. And it's it's crazy. There are some scenes in these movies, though. Like, there's a scene in Dragons Forever where this dude falls, hits in the small of his back from, like, a 10-foot height, like a metal railing, and falls off of it. And you're like, <laughs> that guy did not walk away from that. And sure enough, at the bloopers at the end of the movie, it's carried him out in a hospital cart. You're like, yeah, we kept that scene in. It was like that in part two. There are two or three falls where you know someone broke some bones. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jackie says he's broken every bone in his body at least once. Anyway, there's a new interview with Edgar Wright talking, who's always been a huge Jackie Chan fan. He's been very famous about being loud about it and talking specifically about these movies. And then there's a podcast with him uh, where he interviewed Jackie Chan about his career, which is pretty cool. It's about 36 minutes. There's a new program called Beco- uh, Becoming Jackie with Grady Hendricks, who is the co-founder of the New York Asian Film Festival, talking about him, talking about his emergence as an action star, how his work evolved over time, and that's a brand new thing. There's the King vs. Kings 2, is an archival segment from a TV program where Chan performs the police story theme on stage and then is reunited which with is the, a great which is reunited with the original members of the Jackie Chan stunt team and this was shot in 2017 there's Jackie Chan a vintage video interview where he talks about his approach to action choreography and all the different st- and dangerous stunt work he did on this uh police story 2 aside from the piece already said comes with the main thing i was hoping to find 
an episode of this British show called Son of the Incredibly Strange Film Show, which I used to watch a lot. They also have a wonderful episode about Sam Raimi, if you ever get a chance to track it down, or if they ever, Criterion ever puts out an Evil Dead movie. That'd be cool. Um, the Evil but, Dead trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this particular one was one of, I think the only Jackie Chan I had seen at this point was Police Story, and a friend of mine was like, oh, have you ever seen this? And he had it on videotape and showed it to me. And it was like around the time he was doing uh, Miracles, and so he'd done a lot of films by the, this point between Police Story and that. And it's this guy who's this funny British host who's talking to Jackie and his stunt team and following him around. And Jackie, of course, has shit tons of like behind the scenes footage. He was one of those guys who kept everything. And it was really cool, like watching them do the, it was just like a, almost more of a clip collection of some of his best stunts. And I was like, this guy's insane. I have to watch everything he's ever done. And it's, it's pretty damn good. Uh, there is interview with Benny Lay, who is a martial arts spe- specialist who's worked quite a lot with Jackie, part of his stunt team and worked on Police Story 2. Uh, there's L'Opera, L'Opera de Pekin à Paris. I have probably totally said that wrong, which is a French television program uh, which focuses on the training work that the performers of Beijing, Beijing Opera were required to do, which is what Chan actually came out of, as did many different movie stars at this point which in time is in a China. fascinating story. And he actually made a uh, film about it. Yeah. I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but there there is a movie about his and Sammo Hung and Yuan Biao when they were kids going Are you to the Peking the Opera School. The the yeah, the narrative one. So I've seen the documentary that was really <laughs> awesome. Uh, there's a uh, short and far from essential collection of bloopers behind the scenes footage called Stunt Reel. It's it's five minutes long and most of it you've seen before and it's it's not very good. Um, I kind of wish, like, why didn't you all assemble a really god good stunt reel now instead of put like this weird crappy archival thing take the credit sequence of like 10 of those movies at random and cut them together but yeah this is like if you are even faintly a jackie chan fan this is i mean just for the bonus features alone an essential own i mean it's the criterion went all out with this thing it's great the only like i said the only thing i would do differently is i would have just made it the first three movies and then you've got the absolutely unquestionable questionably the best set because if they come back and do three and then four first strike which is really kind of it's their attempt to do like a modern american james bond movie out of it and most of it's in english and you're like this isn't very good has that one great shark fight scene, and other than that, it's just okay. Oh no, there's a scene there where he fights a dude with a full, like, like no, eight no. foot ladder. I, I, That's I've pretty seen cool. First strike. <laughs> it's why I emphasize the fact that I wanted to find the good Jackie Chan yeah, movies. Yeah. Three, I still think is by far the best, and it was also where Michelle Yao yep. turned from star to it's super where, mega well, ultra she star. Had, like two movies after. There's, 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 there's a spinoff yeah. specifically about her character that yeah. Chan does a cameo in as his character from Police Story movies, where when he's there, she encounters him where he's undercover in drag you know which is like oh that's funny jackie jan's dressed like a woman you're like oh jackie that probably wouldn't be okay right now (laughs) but at the time it was fine anyway that is it for our digital noise thank you to aaron for joining me that was fun as always and i will be back in another probably two weeks with an episode with john golson i just handed him off a mega stack of movies and he looked at me a little side-eyed about but that's all right (laughs) he was still happy to take them including I had to, I, I did it, man. I, I don't even know why I asked them to send it to me, but I fucking watched Ghost to Mars again. I don't know why I did it, but this time I had some uh, different things that I realized about it, and you they're know, also not good. I've had people tell me that that movie is better than I remember it. They're wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's not. It's bad. <laughs> but it's, I've reached a point of seeing it enough times now that I'm like, okay, I'm kind of laughing 
I'm actually laughing as I'm watching it now instead of like just being mad. I'll, I'll never forget the guy cutting off his thumb because he's too high. Yeah. That is the quintessential image of that movie for me. That movie's not good, <laughs> but we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it, I promise. That Among that and many other things. So join us then. Don't forget to use the links uh, for uh, based on the images that are on the actual webpage here to click on to go to buy these things or buy anything from Amazon. As long as you start from one of our links, we get a nice little kickback. That's very appreciated, as is becoming a subscriber desperately need subscribers i've gotten to the point that i basically am having to go do uh phone app like car work almost every day of the week now because it's just the bills just have piled up too high and i really need y'all's help please become a subscriber it's harder and harder to keep up with all this stuff and quite frankly something's got to give so please think about becoming a subscriber there are lots of bonus stuff you can get on there and you're helping to keep this site with our tons of daily content that comes out continuing on into the future